0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to Genesis chapter number 49 this evening. For the past eight weeks, we have preached on Sunday nights on the blessings that Jacob bestowed upon his sons when he was on his deathbed. As we have studied these, we have basically followed three areas of thought in which these verses can be applied. As we study them, we understand that they can be interpreted dispensationally. And we might say this, that there is a prophetic application of these scriptures. In verse number one, he says this, that he wants to tell them, he says, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. And that phrase, last days, and nothing in this Bible is on accident or by coincidence, but that phrase in particular is packed full of prophetic connotations. It describes a period of time that, uh, can encompass anywhere from beginning with the church age, which is the day me and you live in, uh, we know that we are living in the last days. There's no question about that. Uh, and Paul said this, this, know that in the last days perilous times shall come. And that time of the last days can extend all the way down to the uh, grand ushering in of the millennial promises of God that He has made throughout all of His Word inasmuch as it applies to the scope of the history of the nation of Israel, I believe that it begins when they come out of Egypt. And you say, why is that, preacher? Well, when they went into Egypt, they were a family. But when they come out of Egypt, they're a nation. And God begins to deal with them as a nation. And you can trace their history from that point on up until the present day and even further into the future, and what we can expect to happen with that people according to the Word of God. So there's a prophetic application of these verses. We might say it can also be understood not only in a dispensational sense, but also in a dispositional sense. For Jacob is speaking about his sons, and he's speaking about their personalities, their strong points, and their failures, their flaws. And he is speaking about what is going to happen to them and their descendants in a very literal and particular way. We might say this would be a personal application of this portion of Scripture. And then we understand that every portion of the Word of God also carries with it a practical application. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, uh, there's what these verses meant to Jacob's sons and his descendants. And there's what these verses mean to the Jewish people as a nation and as a people. But then there's what these verses mean to you and I. As we sit here today in this day of grace, justified heathens and Gentiles that have been adopted into the family of God and into the promises of God, what do these verses mean to you and me? We've learned a lot of wonderful, beautiful truths as we have walked throughout these Scriptures. And tonight we come to the ninth in this series, and it is a man by the name of Asher. Only one verse is mentioned about him in this blessing, and it's verse number 20. Let's read that. And then we'll pray and preach for a little while a word about sustenance and blessedness. It says this, that out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Now, that's not very much. Some of y'all just stood up, so I'll read it again for you. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that it's perfect and inspired and preserved. Lord, we don't have to wonder which words are right, for we know that everything here is Your Word. Lord, it's exactly what You'd have it to be. Now, Father, help us to approach it with the reverence that we need to tonight, to have our hearts open to the preaching of Your Word. Lord, I pray that You'd do a work in each heart, beginning with mine tonight, Lord, a work that would bring You glory and be for our good. Father, we love You, and we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as we study through this chapter of the Word of God, there is almost a paralleling or an accompanying chapter in the Word of God that we've really not said a lot about. And the reason is because I believe that they present two different thoughts and two different studies. But I would like to jump over and read another portion of Scripture just very quickly, because I believe it gives us an understanding of some of the things that God is saying to Asher through Asher's father, Jacob. In Deuteronomy chapter number 33... You'll find sort of a similar passage of Scripture, although it's not Jacob on his deathbed, but it's rather Moses at death's door. And Moses has led the nation of Israel. For 40 years he has led them. He's come down to the end of his life, and before he leaves, God has made clear to Moses that he's going to uh, go up upon, uh, you know, uh, Mount Pisgah there, and he's going to die, and God's going to hide his body. But before he leaves, he wants to give a blessing to all of the twelve tribes. And as you study through them and come to the blessing that he gives to Asher, I want you to listen to what the Lord says in Deuteronomy 33, verses 24 and 25. He says this, And of Asher, he said, Let Asher be blessed with children. Let him be acceptable to his brethren, and let him dip his foot in oil. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass, and as thy days, so shall thy strength be. When we study the person of Asher, let me say this, that we're looking at a blessed individual. His entire life is marked by the blessing of God. Everywhere that you see him, you find God's hand upon him and blessing him. Why would that be so in his situation, but not in the situation of the others? Let me say this, that I understand that uh, as a child of God, we all have God's blessedness upon our life. But if you're anything like me, have you ever seen folks, you know that God don't play favorites, but some folks sure want to make you think He does. You ever met anyone like that? Seems like you get your share and their share of trouble, and it seems like all along the way they never have any struggle, they never have any difficulty. It makes you wonder sometimes, and we understand that the, you know, the judge of all the earth does right, and we understand that God doeth all things well, and it's not that we're doubting Him, but sometimes we struggle in understanding how some folks just seem to tiptoe through life, and it seems like nothing ever gets them down. It seems like nothing ever discourages them. And you may think to yourself, like I often do, how do they do that? Have you ever met someone that was so happy it made you sick? I've met people like that. Yeah, you ever met somebody that was just so happy all the time you want to just say, Oh, hush, <laughs> you know? Oh, stop it. You can't be that happy all the time. Well, let me say that Asher would have been that individual. Asher would have been the fellow that you'd look like and it'd seem like rain clouds never came into his life. Asher would have been the fellow that it would seem like no matter what happened, he was always happy, always had joy in the Lord. And I believe in this blessing that Jacob bestows, we have sort of a little hint as to why it was like that. Now, if you're like me, I want to be that way. I'm not always that way. If I'm being honest with you, there's a lot of days. You can ask my wife. You can ask my family. There's a lot of days that I'm not that way, but I'd like to be that way. I'd like to live above and apart from the sufferings of this world, or at least be able to live with enough faith and enough uh, foresight that when those things come into my life, I'm able to trust God and move past those things. How did Asher do this? Well, I think there's a few hints, but can I just point one thing out to you? We study through this series, and it's no accident that he's number ninth in the series. Now, let me tell you something. You have to be a little careful with numerology. How many of you know what numerology is? Raise your hand. You have to be a little careful with numerology. I've known some guys that got their integers mixed up with their, uh, you know, predominant. I mean, they got the top number on the fraction mixed up with the bottom number. They wound up in China believing who knows what. But I do believe as you study the Word of God, there is a pattern of numbers in the Bible. And I believe these numbers do evoke certain things and and, and do characterize some, certain things. As we study the number nine in the Bible, you'll find that the number nine is the number of the fruit of the Holy Ghost. There are It is a ninefold, I won't say there's nine fruits, but it is a ninefold fruit that the Spirit of God bears in the life of the believer. Now, I understand, I'm a dispensationalist. I'm not saying Asher was indwelt by the Holy Ghost. But I do believe that He pictures for us a person that walks in the joy of the Lord and in the Spirit of God. And I believe that in Him, it evokes a picture of someone that learns what it is to understand their true standing and station as a believer, and to walk in the joy of Him who indwells us, who is impervious to the sufferings and sorrows of this world, but who is also in tune to the sufferings and sorrows of our heart, someone whom the world can never get down, but also through Him is the means of God being touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Listen, I think if we can get more in tune with the Holy Ghost tonight, I think we'll be a little more like Asher. I think as we read this, we find a few hints. And, I, and if you don't help me no better than this, I'm just going to preach quick and, and close her down. Amen? <laughs> Some of y'all get real quiet. Now, I want you to notice three things that we see in this particular verse of Scripture that I believe sort of show us something about Asher. I want you to notice, first off, that this blessing begins different than all the other blessings because as you read through them, look back with me. Look at verse 3. How does it begin? It begins Reuben. Look at verse number five. How does it begin? It begins Simeon and Levi. Look at verse number eight. How does it begin? It begins with the word Judah. Look at verse number 13. How does it begin? It begins with the name Zebulun. Verse number 14 says what? Says Issachar. Verse number 16 says what? Says Dan. Verse number 19. What does it say? It says Gad. With every single person that's been mentioned, Their name is the first thing that's mentioned. Do you know why? Because in all of these instances, God is going to describe something about that person. And yet, when we come to chapter 20, it does not begin with Asher's name, but rather it begins this way. It says, out of Asher his bread shall be fat.'" Let me say that when we come to Asher, it does not describe him. It describes something that he's got. When it comes to Asher, we are not met with a description of his person and his character. Yea, in fact, as we study this, it really doesn't say anything about Asher as a person. It doesn't say who he is. It doesn't say how he is. But rather, God points to what he's got and where he got it from. And we see the source of the blessedness of this person. It begins by saying, out of Asher, his bread shall be fat. Can I just exhort you with a few simple thoughts tonight? I want you to notice first off that this blessedness in Asher's life, it would be an internal blessedness. It would not come from anywhere but within Him. Now, I want to be very careful with what I say here because I don't want you to misunderstand or misconstrue what I'm preaching tonight. I don't believe that us and of ourselves are enough. I think we see examples all around this world of people that try to look within to find the happiness that they need in life that come up empty, uh, story after story of people that have taken their life, people that have died in the grips of drugs and of alcohol because they tried to look within to find something. But what we find that Asher finds when he looks within, it's not that he looks within himself and finds himself, but when he looks within himself, he finds a supernatural source of something that it doesn't seem should come out of him. Now, I understand that Jacob is very literally talking about the tribe of Asher. And if we want to make a personal application to his situation, I understand that Asher would occupy the northern, western portion of the land of Israel there between uh, Carmel and Zidon. It's very frugal, uh, or, uh, fruitful and a very fertile area. I understand it's saying that Asher would be blessed with ground that could be easily tilled and would yield abundant fruit. But you know what I see when I see this verse? I see that Asher didn't have to look anywhere else if he'd look to the blessings that God had bestowed within his boundaries, he'd find the source of his happiness. You know part of the reason, let me say not only was it internal, but we noticed that it was independent of anyone else. The other tribes might have to trade, but Asher didn't have to trade. The other tribes might have to go elsewhere to find the blessing and the sustenance that they needed, but Asher, he wouldn't have to go anywhere. He could look right within his borders and find what he needed. If you're here today as a child of God, let me say this that out of your belly flows rivers of living water. That the happiness that you need, no, it's not anybody else's job to make you happy. And you'll find that out real quick in life. If you're looking at everyone else to make you happy, you'll come up short in a heartbeat. We spend a lot of time wanting everybody to fix everything so we never have any problems. But the truth of the matter is, people, uh, there's nobody that has no problems, but there are people that overcome their problems. And the people that overcome them, as far as believers are concerned, are those that learn not to look without at everyone else, but to look within at the Spirit of God that indwells them to and to kneel upon him and to let him have his way in their life. Asher didn't have to look anywhere else because God had blessed him with something internally that could meet all of his needs. You know, that's the consistent drumbeat of the promise of the Spirit of God all through Scripture. It's always that you won't have to go, hey, you drink of this water, you won't have to come back to that well anymore. You eat of these breads, you won't have to go back to that old bread anymore. You come to me, you won't have to go anywhere. That was the promise that Christ always made. You know why? Because we live in a world of people that are trying everything to be happy and nobody's happy. We live in a world of people that are trying to look to any and everything, whether it be a job, whether it be money, whether it be hobbies, whatever it is, looking everywhere to find happiness and still they're not happy. Why? Because those things can't provide happiness. Happiness and joy comes from walking in the Holy Ghost. It comes from being in perfect and pleasant communion with Him. It comes from being in tune with His leading in your life. I want you to notice not only was it an internal and independent thing, but we find it was an invigorating thing. You say, why do you say that, preacher? Well, because of Asher's name. You know what his name literally means? It literally means happiness. Asher was a man that, I mean, when you called his name, it was a good testimony of the way he lived his life. You say, well, preacher, that's his name, but that don't mean anything. Well, I think it does, because when Moses describes the tribe, he says that they would dip their foot in oil and they'd be accepted amongst their brethren. He's saying that Asher is going to occupy a special place amongst the tribes of blessedness. Evidently, that character of Asher had carried through to the rest of the tribe. That happiness had been passed along, and that in and of itself was enough to keep him singing a song and enjoying life. You know, Nehemiah says this, that the joy of the Lord is our strength. If we're not happy in the Lord, we're not going to be happy with anything. Until we get satisfied with Him, we're never going to be satisfied. Until we find out He's enough, nothing's ever going to be enough. We're always going to be looking somewhere else or to someone else. You know those people I'm talking about, right? Those people that always seem happy, you know why? Because they found a joy that the world can't take from them. They find a happiness, uh, that the world cannot touch. They found a happiness that's not dependent upon circumstances. That's not dependent upon prosperity. That's not dependent upon personality or popularity. They found something within them. And I don't, listen, I don't mean a still small voice. But what they found within them, I don't mean the will to do better. I mean those that know the Lord Jesus Christ have the blessed Spirit of God indwelling them. And He provides them with a joy if they'll walk with Him. There's no more unhappy person than a Christian out of the will of God. But there's no more happy person than a Christian in the will of God. And that's something that rises above the sorrows and suffering of this world. And that's something that gives us songs in the night and joy in the midst of heartache and confusion. You see, when He's on the throne and He's also in our heart, whatever do we have to fear? Greater, John said, greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world we see the source of His blessedness. But I want you to notice the substance of His blessedness. This is interesting. We don't think of this very often. We don't use this language. But it says this. It says, Out of Asher, what? His bread shall be fat. i thought about that for a little while. You know, as you study the Word of God, you understand that you can never sound the depths of scriptural truth. And that's one of the things I love about the Bible. I never have to worry that I've looked too much into something in the Bible. Because it's perfectly inspired. There's always something there. And when I thought and considered about this, I thought about what it was that Asher had. You know, God tells him that he's going to have fertile land. But I don't know about you. I'm getting ready to raise a garden this year or try. We'll see. You pray for me. And if any of y'all feel led of the Lord to sneak over and work my garden in the middle of the night when I'm asleep, you have liberty to do that. Amen. And, uh, maybe, maybe drop a few vegetables, some cucumbers or tomatoes, and I'll, ju- I'll just pretend like they got so big they fell off the vine, okay? I'm, I'm gonna try to raise a garden this year. We've been looking at a lot of different things to raise, and, uh, you know, there's like heirloom vegetables and all kinds. Let me tell you something. Nothing we buy in a grocery store looks like God intended. Did you know that? Nothing we buy in a grocery store. You ever seen a real carrot? They don't look like anything Bugs Bunny has ever laid his hands on. They're all kinds of gnarly colors, none of them are straight. And it's like that with everything. You know, cucumbers used to be like this big round. Now, they're like big as a house. And you can buy heirloom stuff to grow. You can buy all kinds of peppers. I know there's folks in this room like to grow peppers. You can grow all kinds of different things. But in all the searching through the seed catalogs and going down to, you know, co-op places like that, I have never seen a packet of bread seeds. Now, if Asher's blessedness was wrapped up within the fact that he would have fertile land, and we believe that's so, that's historically true, then that means that his blessedness was not manifest through the growing of bread. It was manifest through growing that which you make bread out of. Now, I'm not an expert. My wife makes some bread, but I, I just eat it. And uh, I don't know if her bread is fat, but I know her bread makes me fat. Somebody say amen to that. I know that typically the first step when you're wanting to is you've got to grow wheat. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about bread, but let me say the Bible has a lot to say about wheat, too. As you study through the Bible, you'll find the symbolism of wheat always bears testimony to the thought of resurrection. In fact, I want you to listen to this in John twelve twenty three and 24. It says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, he's talking about his death when he said that. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Christ was teaching his disciples this truth, that without death, life could not spring forth but that just as the corn of wheat would fall into the ground and and through its death, many would be brought to life in the same way when the Son of God was laid to rest in the grave and then raised to walk in newness of life, that with Him, the entire New Testament church, the entire blessed communion and camp of the children of God would be raised also to walk in newness of life. You know, one of the secrets that Asher found, he found this out that happiness is found in the new life, not in the old life. Happiness isn't found in doing the same old thing. Happiness is found in walking in the new life that God has called us to through the resurrection power of the Son of God. Can I, can I? Are you ready? Can I rattle your cage? I'm going to shiver your timbers, okay? You ready? The Christian life is not encompassed in the fact that we believe in a historical figure of the Son of God that died and rose again. And because we believe on that fact... We are a child of God. But rather, the Christian life is encompassed in this, that because he died, was buried, and rose again, we have placed our faith in a risen, Living Savior. We believe that He is just as alive today as ever He's been. We believe He'll be just as alive a million years from now as He is at this very moment. And we have come to Him as a sinner, acknowledging our sin and our inability. And because He's alive, because He's risen, because He's conquered death, He has the ability as both the just and the justifier to redeem us, to forgive our sins, and to give us new life. That new life is enjoyed through the resurrection life of the Son of God. Not only through the fact that positionally we're seated together with Him in heavenly places. Uh, in, In other words, we're exactly right now, positionally speaking, what God expects us to be. But also in the power that we have through Him seated at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us. The fact that He, through His Spirit, can live out His will in our lives as we yield to the Spirit of God. What I'm saying is this. Uh, the Christian life that we live, if we're going to live a Christian life, it's a matter of daily yielding to Him. Now, when I got saved, that was an instantaneous thing. Somebody say amen to that. It was instantaneous and eternal. But the matter of living the Christian life is something that is done through daily crucifying the flesh and walking with the Son of God. It's the new life. That, we might say this, the new life, the wheat of the new life is the ingredients from which the bread of life is made. I want you to notice the process that's spoken of. It starts with wheat, but notice the product that's spoken of. His bread shall be fat. That takes a lot of things to live. And uh, I've never met anyone that was on an all-bread diet. Have you? (laughs) Don't think that would be too healthy. But the bread is indicative of the plenteousness and blessing and sufficiency that the Lord would be in Asher's life. The Bible has a lot to say about bread. In fact, let me read one to you uh, in John chapter number 6. Uh, down in, let's see here, verse number 48, he said this, The Lord said, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. We enjoy it through uh, coming as a sinner unto Christ and asking for forgiveness and partaking of that salvation. But let me say it even goes a step further. How do we consume Christ in our life? Well, the Bible says this man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. Not only is Christ the bread from heaven, but let me say that this right here, this Bible we hold in our hands, this also is the bread of heaven. Part of the way that Asher enjoyed the blessedness of the life that he had is he walked in the new life that had been provided through the resurrection of the Lord. But let me say also, he walked in the wisdom and truth of the Word of God that God had placed in his life. You know those happy Christians? They're scriptural Christians. I'm just telling you right now, you know what I find? Anytime I find a happy Christian, I find a scripture-quoting Christian. Somebody say amen to that. When I meet those people, that they seem to have a handle on things, and it's not that they don't have problems. Asher had problems. Do you remember the? Do you remember what Moses told him? Said that your shoes will be iron and brass. It sounds like Asher had a bumpy road at times in life, but as his days, so would his strength be. God would walk with him and provide for him what he needed for those days that he would face. It's not that that person doesn't have problems. It's not that when you look at them, they don't have any clouds that move into their life. But it's that when those things do happen, they know how to get. Strength from the Word of God. And to look to it to be their provision and their strength. We see the product of it. It was bread, the bread of life. And we might say the bread of Scripture. But notice the provision of it. It says His bread shall be fat. (laughs) It doesn't mean that the bread would be fattening, although if His bread was like our bread today, it probably was. But what it implies is it'd be plenteous. It'd be sufficient. Can I just remind you of this? That these things are sufficient. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm about to say. God gives us a lot of tools in life to help us through. And I'm not against those things. But there's nothing to replace a relationship with Christ and a love for His Word. Listen, I'm not against, you know, folks talk about, you know, the counseling and stuff like that. I do counseling, but people talk about secular counseling. I'm not against it. I know a lot of folks say, ah, it's the devil. I don't think it's the devil. I think if somebody can help you with those things, I think you ought to get to help. Somebody say amen. People talk about medicine. I think we live in an over-medicated world. But let me say this, there's lots of folks, I don't need to be on more medicine, not less. Somebody say amen to that. I'm not opposed to those things, but understand that those things may be tools that God uses in your life. They are not meant to replace the very substance and sustenance of God's will and work in your life. You can't take this away and have anything left. You can't take the new life away and have anything left. Look at the world. Look how they've tried to do it. The world is burning tonight because they've tried to remove God from everything. And your life will do that too. But Asher found that this was enough. If he'd looked to this, if he'd looked to that blessedness that God had placed within his boundaries, within his perimeters, within his his land, that he'd find it'd be enough. I want you to know it's the final thing and I'm done. I promise you. I want you to notice not only do we see the source of His blessedness and the substance of His blessedness, but I want you to notice another word about the sufficiency of His blessedness. Look at the last phrase. This is interesting. It says, "...and He shall yield royal dainties." We don't use that word very often today, but it evokes the idea... Can I give you a word that we might be a little more familiar with? We went to a restaurant today. Did anybody else go to a restaurant today? Don't lie now. Come on now. All right. And, uh, you, you get to the restaurant and you start looking on the menus and what's the first thing that pops up before anything else pops up first page you open. It has what it has appetizers. Now, if you're anything like me, I'd sooner just get more food and less appetizer. Amen. Cause I, I mean, uh, you know, 1250 for mushroom cats is just too much. I don't care who you are. And, uh, But the idea is this, you know, you you ever see those people, they ain't like me. They got more money than me. God takes care of me, but, I mean, it's not the will of God that I have appetizers. Somebody say amen to that. Because if it was, he'd enable me to buy appetizers. But you see those people, and man, they're just ordering appetizer after. I mean, here, you have some. Hey, come on, bring some more in. You know, they're like kings waving people to their table. Getting all these appetizers. See, the appetizers, that's not the bread. That's not the meat and potatoes. That's a little extra that you have. And God looks at Asher and says this. Not only will you have enough, Asher, you'll have more than enough. Not only will you have enough to get by, Asher, but you'll have something left over at the end of the day. And I got to thinking about it, you know. I I don't think they was eating mushroom caps in Bible days. I don't think they had mozzarella sticks and buffalo wings. In fact, in this time, a dainty really couldn't be a lot of things. It couldn't be confectionery. I mean, chocolate and candy and stuff like that. It couldn't really be that. Uh, you could say it could be baked goods, and I guess it could be, but he's already mentioned bread. Really, at this time in human history, at this place, this location, pretty much if you were going to have a delicacy at the table, I mean, something that only the kings could have, I mean, something that only the kings could enjoy, typically, you know what it was? It was a basket or a bowl of fruit. You know, it's almost like the Lord's saying this. Not only is Asher going to have the bread to get him through, but he's going to have a little fruit left over to show for the life he's been living. I see the qualifying of what these dainties are. And I think God's pointing to fruit that we can have in our lives. The God, the, you know, the Word of God has a lot to say about fruit. Can I read one verse to you? In John fifteen four, Christ said, "This abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me." I'm going to make a pointed statement. Aren't you ready? It's time that we quit just trying to get by in life and start working to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so many of us spend our time just trying to get from day to day. And never stopping to think about what's to show for the life that we're living. I know a lot of Christians that spend all their time praying for strength just to get through the next week. And if you need strength, pray for strength. I'm not saying don't pray for strength, but I'm saying this. We can spend a lot of our time just trying to go on and get along to get through and never stopping to think about the fact that this is one life that we have. We don't get another one. And whatever we do with it, that's all we've done. Are you with me? That's all we've done. When you come to the end of your life, when you pillow your head in death, whatever is written in your life is written. You don't have any more opportunity after that. You see, those happy Christians, not only do they get to enjoy the fact that God is walking with them, but part of the reason they're happy is they've learned that life is not just a matter of surviving. It's a matter of thriving for the glory of God. It's not just a matter of trying to get through. It's a matter of trying to get something done for the glory of God Almighty. And they've learned that their life, that what God is doing in their life is bigger than any problems they may have. You ever stop thinking, what God is doing in your life is bigger than whatever problems you're facing. Anything that you're going through. Listen, there's folks in this room that don't have problems anywhere near mine. And there's folks in this room that got problems that make mine look like absolutely nothing. But whatever you're going through, God's doing something bigger in your life than the problems you're going through. The end game is never your suffering. The end game is always your sanctification. And that means God's always doing something bigger. You may not be able to see it. You may not be able to understand it. But here's what those happy Christians, here's what they've plugged into and tuned into. They've understood that though they may not be able to have life figured out, God does have life figured out. Though they may not be able to understand what God is doing, they understand that if they'll abide in Christ, then they'll have fruit to show for the life that they've lived. We see in this passage the qualifying of this uh, fruit of these dainties, then I want you to notice the quantity of it. It says this: He shall yield royal dainties, not just enough to get by, but more than enough. Listen to what Christ says in john fifteen five he says, "I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth what much fruit for without me, ye can do nothing. You know it's a good day in our life when we get so busy in Christ, we don't even have time to stop and pay the devil, any mind. You know, a lot of folks that stay tore up all the time, stay tore up all the time because they ain't doing nothing. Oof, I felt that. Carrie, did you turn that air conditioner down? A lot of folks that stay tore up all the time, you see, they're not in the real battle, so they have to stir up a a battle. Because they're not in the real battle. And folks that say, I promise you, you get busy serving God, you'll have too much going on to worry about every little thing that somebody says about you, about every little cross look that somebody gives you. If you'll get busy serving God, if you'll really get in this thing, get plugged in and fighting in this spiritual battle, you won't have time when somebody shoots a wad at you. Say amen to that. When you've got swords swinging at you, you ain't worried about the spit wads. You get busy, you'll be bearing much fruit. And you'll find out that will take a lot of the happiness out of your life when you're idle, when you're not busy, when you're not serving God. Let me tell you, the me and my wife were talking about this. And, and you can call it spiritual self-esteem if you want to. You can call it ego. You can call it whatever confidence, bold, whatever you want to call it. But it's not good for a person to be idle. And that's just as true in the spiritual realm as it is in the physical realm. There's a lot of Christians unhappy because they just ain't doing nothing. <laughs> And you're not happy when you're not serving and working and laboring. But if you'll get busy, you'll find you'll find some joy in that. You know why? The Lord always takes care of His workers. He does. He, those that are laboring for Him, He always sees to their needs and meets their needs. We find in this passage the quantity of the fruit. But I want you to notice the quality of it. What does it say? He shall yield what? Royal dainties? Could my life be fit for a king? I believe it can. Listen to what it says in John 15:8, Christ said, "Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. You know who God's pleased with, those that are serving him and living for him, and those that are bearing fruit in their life. You see, Asher would be the kind of person that the Daniel that he'd yield, the fruit that he'd bear, it'd be fit for king's table. Now, let me just say this, that never in my life did I ever believe that anything I could ever do could ever amount to anything that'd be pleasing to the God of heaven. But if through simple obedience I'll yield myself to the leading of the Spirit of God, God can be pleased with my life. You know, we spend so much time talking about our failures that I think we get ourselves in a mind frame to fail. We spend so much time preaching in the wilderness, we never get out of the wilderness. And we spend so much time talking about the fact that nobody's perfect that we create an environment where nobody even tries. I'm reminded, and I'll say this in close, I'm reminded of the book of Micah and a little parenthetical narrative that's told about a king that comes to the prophet Balaam. And he goes through a list. He, he, he describes some things. This man was a pagan. He, he was not a worshiper of the God of Israel. And he goes and he wants to find out what it takes to serve Jehovah. And he goes through, through the list. He says, you know, if I sacrifice everything I've got, if I give my firstborn, if I give up all my riches, would this please Jehovah? Would he be pleased with this? And Balaam looks at him and he says this, that if you'll walk in God, with God in honesty and sincerity, and if you'll serve Him with your heart, and if you'll trust Him, that that's what the Lord requires out of your life. Now, don't get me wrong. That covers a lot of scenarios. But if you'll just simply yield to Him in obedience and walk with the Spirit of God day in and day out, you can live pleasing to God. You don't have to live in defeat. There'll be times you'll fall and fail. But don't think that it's an unfair and an impossible thing to live for God. When you see those Christians and you say, how do they do that? They do that through yielding to the Lord and walking with Him day in and day out. They don't do it because they're so super special. They don't do it because they're part of some A-list. They've just learned that God has a better idea about this thing than we do. And if they'll follow in obedience to the Spirit of God and let the will of God be worked out in their life, that they'll be the better for it. It's not through striving and struggling, friend. It's just through surrender. If you're a child of God, then within you, in your borders, dwells the Spirit of God. And He's there to lead you and guide you into all truth. And if as He speaks, you'll yield and listen to Him, then you'll find victory in your life. If you won't do that, forget about it. You won't ever you won't ever be satisfied. You won't ever be happy. That's the key. That's the that's the clue. That's the hint. That's the trick. Whatever you want to call it. That's the truth of it. The believer can only be happy when he's yielded to the Spirit of God. Now you got a choice. We're gonna have an invitation. In fact, uh, the somebody Miss Connie slipped to the piano for us and and played. She got a bunch of babies back there, so Brandon's the biggest one, so as she she's gonna play here in a moment. What are you going to do right now? now? it's all good in theory, right? And we all say it when amen. Oh, that's good preacher. That's good truth. I appreciate that. But what about your life? Where is your life at tonight? Are there some things that the Spirit of God has dealt with you about? You do like I do, I'm sure, that you just kind of buck up against, that you kind of tighten up against. Oh, Lord, take anything in my life, but don't take that. i do that sometime. Maybe you've done that tonight. Let me say that you'll never go wrong by yielding to the Spirit of God. Maybe there's some things God's been trying to wrestle away from you. It's time tonight to let go. Maybe there's some things that God's been trying to wrestle into your hand. Maybe He's been trying to wrestle your Bible into your hand, wrestle you into the prayer club, wrestle Him tithing, papers into your... Whatever it is that God may have been dealing with you about, tonight's the night to let Him. And yield to Him. And you know what? You don't have to leave out here miserable. You don't have to leave out here just making it. You can leave out of here walking with the God of heaven.